Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime or bitumen and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said a sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman that she may nurse the child for thee? That's Miriam, of course. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word and the preaching of it too for his name's sake. I'm going to ask you to turn, please, to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read a few verses from there that tie in with the reading that God's servant brought a few moments ago. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 is where we're going to pick up the reading of God's Word. And do pray for Ruth Rooney. I was sad to hear that just there about Teresa. I well remember the day that Ruth showed me a letter that this saint of God had sent to her. Uh, they met in a doctor's waiting room and Ruth began to talk to her and got to know her and witnessed to her and befriended her. 
and then used to send her the DVDs of the services here in Lisburn. And after a number of months watching the services, this Lady Teresa came to faith in the Savior, and she wrote Ruth a lovely letter to say that she had got saved. And she showed me the letter, and it's not an exaggeration to say it read like a gospel tract. She just talked about her need for the Savior, and there's proof texts all the way through it, John 3, 16, and different verses like that. And she'd really come to a, a real assurance of sins forgiven. So we're so thankful for Ruth and her testimony and her prayer life. We know that she prays. Uh, she told me recently just around the church here before uh, she goes to sleep at night, she spends quite a long time in prayer, just goes around every pew in the church that she can remember and prays for the people that sit in that particular pew. She might know the names of everybody, uh, but she knows faces and remembers many names as well. And I'm sure that Ruth is praying even now for many in this congregation. So remember God's servant in your prayers. What a saint of God, what an encouragement, what a testimony, uh, what a witness uh, Ruth Rooney has been over the years for many of you and in the years that I've known her as well. But let's read, please, Hebrews 11. And we'll just read from verse 23. Hebrews eleven twenty-three down to verse 27. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And again, God will bless, we believe, the reading of his inspired word to each and every heart. want to speak tonight for a little while upon the conversion of Moses. Last Lord's Day evening, we considered the conversion of Abraham, and tonight we're thinking about the conversion of Moses. So let's pray together and invite the Lord to challenge us, to encourage us, and to meet each one at the point of need. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful again for the Word of God. Thank Thee, Lord, for this precious, precious book. Where would we be tonight without the Bible? We think of Peter, who, speaking to the Savior, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. And if we didn't have the Savior, and if we didn't have the Scriptures, Lord, we would be without hope in this present world. But Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word, this life-giving and this life-changing book. And we pray tonight, Lord, as it's been read in our hearing, and as we come to consider it now, that the author of this book, the Holy Spirit Himself, will anoint the preacher and open the hearts of every hearer, and grant, O God, that man might be hidden, and that Christ will be exalted and uplifted. Speak to the lost especially, draw them to the cross, 
and encourage the saints too. But most of all, glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name and in his authority that we pray. Amen. One of the most well-known men in all of the Word of God, undoubtedly, is Moses, especially whenever it comes to the Old Testament Scriptures. And what a memorable life Moses lived. His life of 120 years can be divided nicely into three stages. For 40 years, Moses was in the world. He was in Egypt. And then for 40 years, Moses was in the wilderness, having his heart prepared by the Lord. And then for the final 40 years in the life of Moses, he was in the work of God, leading and directing and guiding the children of Israel in their wilderness journeys. Now, in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, the Word of God ever sets forth the necessity of personal faith in God. Nobody in the Word of God was ever converted or ever brought into the family and fold of God without exercising personal faith. Nobody was ever saved because of natural birth. Nobody was ever made an inheritor, for example, because they were born into the nation of Israel. In the same way that nobody becomes an inheritor of the kingdom of God because they are born into a Christian home. Faith in God and explicitly faith in Jesus Christ has always been critical has always been vital. We thought last Lord's Day evening about Abraham, and it says in the book of Romans chapter 4 that Abraham was justified by faith. Here in Hebrews 11, it speaks about Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So Moses knew about the coming Messiah. Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day. And the book of Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and verse number 7 says, For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now that's an unusual verse, because as God looks down from heaven, he sees national Israel. And so it was in Old Testament and New Testament times, the nation of Israel. But within Israel, there was the Israel of God, spiritual Israel, those who were truly God's people by spiritual birth, not just by national affiliation. People in Old Testament times needed to exercise faith, and they also needed to walk by faith. We often think of the Reformation, Martin Luther discovering that great truth, the just shall live by faith. And while that verse is in the New Testament, Romans, and again in Galatians, it's really an Old Testament text found in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 4. The just shall live by faith. The Apostle John says in the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, but as many as received him, that is received Christ. To them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God or born from above. Or as it says in John chapter 3, born again. Nobody ever became an inheritor of God's salvation or entered into the family or fold of God by natural birth, by blood birth, or by the decision of the flesh or the efforts of the flesh, or by the will of man, but only by the grace of God in salvation. And Moses was no exception. Moses had to be converted. And I believe we read about the conversion of Moses in a very detailed manner here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 24 especially. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And so from Hebrews and also from Exodus chapter 2, we're going to consider tonight some aspects concerning the conversion of Moses. And the first thing that I want you to think about for a moment or two is the record of a past life. Something here is recorded by way of record of the past life of Moses before he made this choice under God by grace to come out and to stand up for Christ and to really begin to walk with God. You'll notice in verse number 23 as we think about the record of a past life, mention is made there of a providential birth. Verse 23, by faith Moses when he was born. Now Exodus chapter 1 records the plight of the Jewish people, the children of Israel down there in Egypt. A Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. He began to afflict the children of Israel, began to persecute them. And at last their cry went up to God by reason of their bondage. And God began to answer their prayers. And beyond what they could see and beyond what they knew, a woman called Jochebed conceived in her womb and would bring forth a little baby boy and that little boy would grow up to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. The birth of Moses was the answer to the prayers of the afflicted in Egypt. And mind you, it would take a long, long time before their prayers were answered. Moses was born, and at 40 years of age, he left Egypt. And then after 40 years in the backside of the desert, God called him. And then he went back to Egypt and into the presence of Pharaoh and called Pharaoh, let my people go. And he was an answer to prayer. Sometimes God's people can pray for a long, long time before God comes in salvation blessing, a providential birth. You'll notice also in verse 23, there is a pleasing babe. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three year, months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. Now, the word proper there in the Greek language, it literally means beautiful. 
It says over in Acts 7 verse 20 that he was exceeding fair. And in Exodus chapter 2 it says he was a a goodly child, or the the Hebrew word there, it could be translated well-pleasing or a better child. And in a sense, as Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses, looked at this little baby, they realized that there was something different and something distinct and something goodly about this little child. Now, this wasn't merely doting parents looking into a a crib and saying, oh, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he lovely? I'm sure every parent believes that whenever they see their children. But Amram and Jochebed, I believe, had discernment. And as they gave birth to this little boy and as they looked at him, they began to discern and began to realize that this little child somehow under God they believed in their hearts, was set apart by God. They had discernment. Not just a providential birth and a pleasing babe, but notice as well in verse 23, a problematic burden. It says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. They hid him three months because of the commandment of Pharaoh to slay the firstborn Hebrew boys that were born in Egypt. And so they hid little Moses for three months. And it says that they did that by faith. Now, faith in a Bible context is always a response to the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And one of the salient things about Hebrews 11, every individual that acted in faith did so in response to the speaking voice of God. And so it's evident that Amram and Jochebed were on speaking terms with God and also carefully listening for God's voice. And perhaps that is one of the reasons why they they realized that Moses was a a proper child, a a goodly child, a, a different child, a child set apart. But all the while for those months there was this problematic burden What do we do with this little boy that is growing and crying and developing and desiring food? We're trying to hide him. And maybe for the first little while, that wasn't too difficult to do because he was small and maybe he was sleeping a lot. But as the weeks and months go by and the little babe gets a little bit bigger, gets more hungry, starts cutting teeth perhaps, Maybe starts making a whole lot of noise. Amram and Jochebed have this burden because they realize someday there's going to be a knock at the door and it might be some of Pharaoh's men, some of the midwives perhaps, and they're going to want to take this little boy from us and destroy him. Pharaoh, you see, in the Bible is a type of the God of this world, the king of Egypt. Egypt represents the world. Pharaoh represents the God of this world. And maybe tonight in the meeting, you're a parent like Jochebed, you're a mother like Jochebed, or you're a father like Amram, and you've got children of your own, and you know that you cannot hide them from the world forever. You're trying the best to watch out for them and protect them and pray for them and carry their burdens, but they're growing and they're getting bigger. And there's a world out there that wants to draw them in. And the God of this world, described in the Bible as Apollyon, Abaddon, the destroyer, 
is a thief and a liar and a murderer and a destroyer. And you're burdened tonight for your children. Maybe tonight burdened for your grandchildren. And you cannot carry that burden forever. You know that someday soon the world is going to come looking for them. And that's exactly how Amram and Jochebed must have felt. After a providential birth, a pleasing babe, a problematic burden, you'll notice in Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 3, preservation in the bulrushes. Amram and Jochebed acted by faith, and I'm sure Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 3 is no different. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch. That's like the tar that maybe is put upon the roads to make it watertight. And she put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And the sister, that's Miriam, stood afar off to wit what would be done unto him. You consider what this woman did. It looks reckless. Maybe it looks very foolish. She's taking this little boy that she loves with all of her heart. And she wants the very best for him. But she knows, I, I cannot hide him any longer. And the world out there is going to take this little boy from me and destroy him. And again, she acts by faith and she makes a little ark of bulrushes and she daubs it with slime and she brings it down to the water's edge. And maybe she lifts a stone or a, a bag of flour and she just tests it out for buoyancy. And once she's sure and certain that the, the little ark is buoyant, she puts Moses inside the ark and trusts the protection and the providence of God, and she just gives this burden into God's hands, and she trusts her God to look after the little boy and to do what's right. Now, there are three arcs that are mentioned in the Bible. There's this little ark here, the smallest ark in the Word of God, Moses' ark. It concerned the protection of an individual. Back there in Genesis, you read about Noah's ark, and that was a lot bigger, of course, and that concerned the protection of a family. And then there's the ark of the covenant that represents God's protecting hand upon a nation. And the three arks that we read about in the Bible all typify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jochebed, Moses' mother, and her husband Amram were were putting their little boy into the hands by faith, into the hands of, of the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the while he experienced preservation, protection, and providence there in the bulrushes. And then you also read in Hebrews 11, verse number 24, as we think about the record of a past life, not just providential birth and a pleasing babe and a a problematic burden and preservation in the bulrushes, but also in the eyes of the world, verse 24, a privileged boyhood. We read in verse number 24 about Moses being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And what worldly privileges that would have brought into the experience of Moses. Exodus 2 indicates that he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. 
It's remarkable it is as that little ark was put into the river Nile and and as Miriam stood afar looking through the bulrushes at that little ark being carried by the, the currents down the river that Pharaoh's daughter and some other young Egyptian woman were down by the, the river's edge bathing themselves and they, they saw this little bundle, this little burden coming down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter lifted the lid off the ark and looked into the ark and there she saw Moses. And her heart went out to the little boy as he began to cry and, and she, she eventually took Moses as her adopted son. Remarkable. Can you imagine how God just guided that little ark into the very hands of Pharaoh's daughter? That she would be the one out of multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of individuals, she would be the one that would see the ark and open the ark and her heart would be open to this little boy and all of his needs. And she becomes his adoptive mother after a season and after a period. And in, in chapter 2 of Exodus and verse number 10, he was renamed Moses. And the word or the name Moses means one that was drawn out of or delivered from or saved out of the waters. And there's a sense in which Pharaoh's daughter viewed herself maybe as being the savior of the little boy. But in fact, the little boy would grow up to be the savior of his own people. And it just shows us tonight that God is in absolute control of all things. The very one that God would use to save or deliver Moses out of the river Nile was the daughter of the king of Egypt himself. And then another great privilege that Moses in the eyes of the world would experience was seen in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 22, where it records it that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Moses, in the world's eyes, received the best possible upbringing. He was nurtured. He was looked after. He was well-fed. He received the the best care in all the world. He lived in the, the greatest home that the world could conceive of, and he received a, a tremendous education. He was gifted with natural ability, and coupled with that natural ability, he received the best education that the world could give it at that particular time. And I'm sure as people would have looked at Moses growing up through his teenage years and into his early 20s and up through into adult years, multitudes would have looked at Moses and say, that is the ideal life. There's a man that will never want for anything. There's a man that's got it all. He's been born into the wealthiest, most powerful and lucrative family on the face of the earth because Egypt at that time was the greatest power in the world. He's got the best education. He eats the best food. He gets the best medical care. And not only that, but he's gifted with natural ability. He's set apart. He's handsome. He's got a great stature. And Moses had a privileged boyhood. In fact, he was in line to the throne. One day, in all probability, Moses would have grown up to be the king of the world. He was being offered the world. 
But there came a time whenever Moses understood before the words were ever spoken, the words that the Savior said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? He has been given everything that any person conceivably could dream of. A record of a past life. But surely tonight as we think about the record of a past life, we also have to acknowledge the reality of a divine hand. The life of Moses up until the age of 40, right up until his conversion, before he really stepped out in faith and, and, and took Christ by the hand, as it were, you cannot help but notice the reality of a divine hand in it all and through it all and behind it all. There's an unseen hand that is moving all of the pieces into place and setting the stage for a great revival and a great deliverance, and, and God certainly is moving. You see, the, the hymn writer William Cooper was right when he said that God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. You see that in the life of Joseph, and you see it in the life of Abraham, and you see it in the life of Moses, and I think in the life of any Christian, if we look at our conversion, all of the, the events that God had to bring together to get us to the cross, there's certainly the reality of a divine hand. As you think about the reality of a divine hand, you have to acknowledge the plan of the Master. All the while, in the family that Moses was born into, and the ark of bulrushes, and being guided down the river Nile, and protected from the crocodiles, and protected from the, the, the fowls of the air, the vultures, and, and guiding that little ark from getting caught up in the bulrushes somewhere, and directed right to the foot of Pharaoh's daughter, there's undoubtedly the plan of a master. All things were working together for good in the life of Moses, and he wasn't aware of any of it. It's wonderful to know tonight that God has a plan. Whenever Joseph was an aged man in, in Egypt, he looked at his brethren as they had come around full circle, and God had fulfilled all of his plans and all of his promises in the dreams that God gave to Joseph as a young boy of 17. And they came with tears and with penitence and heart as how they treated Joseph. And Joseph said to them in Genesis 50, 20, As for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And those words could apply to Pharaoh as well. All his plans and purposes for the children of Israel and especially for the babes that were being born. He wanted to destroy them and he thought evil against them. But God is meaning it all unto good to bring to pass as it would be someday to bring much people alive. Whenever you think about God's dealings with individuals in this world, it becomes very evident that the God of heaven is working all things out for the salvation of his people. God in Moses was raising up a deliverer, one who would deliver them from Pharaoh, and yet at the same time was being brought up in the very house of Pharaoh. Now, you're maybe not a Christian yet, but have you ever looked at your life and all of the influence in your life? And you've had to testify to the reality of a divine hand. Times never God has preserved you. Times never God watched over you. Times maybe whenever an infection set into your body. 
or maybe you were involved in an accident or something happened and, and God diverted your pathway and changed the road that you were on and God has kept you right up until this present moment of time. And you might have to acknowledge the reality of a divine hand, the plan of the Master. But whenever I think about the reality of a divine hand and the plan of the Master, we can't help but think about Moses' poor mother, Jochebed. And if we see the plan of the Master in it all, we certainly have to see as well the prayers of a mother. So often there in Hebrews 11, you read about Jochebed, the mother of Moses, acting by faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, then he was hid. They saw that he was a proper child. By faith, by faith, by faith. And that would indicate to me that Jochebed was a godly woman. She prayed for help. She prayed for wisdom. She prayed for guidance. And God spoke and God gave answer. And then Jochebed acted in faith to what God said. She was a praying mother. And I tell you tonight, there's hardly a greater blessing in life under God than having a praying mother. Some of you tonight in the meeting are not yet saved, but some of you have been blessed with a praying mother or a praying father. John Wesley and Charles Wesley attributed so much of the blessing of God in their lives to the prayers of their godly mother, Susanna. Susanna Wesley was a godly woman. She was a praying mother. And what a blessing it is to have a praying mother. E.M. Barnes once said, prayers never die. And you might tonight be burdened for your children, burdened for your loved ones, burdened for the lost. And you maybe see very little evidence of God answering prayer. And you've been like Jochebed and you've taken that burden of a son or a daughter and you've given that burden into the hands of God. Pray on and pray on and pray through. God is faithful. God answers prayer. I think about myself as a, a child growing up in the home, passing through difficult teenage years with all of the temptation that the world brings. My mother wasn't a theologian and she wasn't a preacher. She had a very quiet witness in a very quiet, gracious way, but she was a woman of prayer. And whenever I was ordained to the Christian ministry at the age of 30, on the night of my ordination, she put a little card into my hand. And whenever I got home, I opened up that little card and I read it. And I never knew that this was the case. And she said, from you were born and you were a little boy, I pray that God would take you and call you someday into his service. And she never for 30 years mentioned anything of the sort. She just brought it before the throne of grace and prayer. The blessing of a, a praying mother. Keep on praying for your children. And some of you tonight that are not saved are still in the broad road. And maybe you know tonight that there's been or has been or maybe still is a mother that's praying for you. And maybe she's getting on in years. And her heart's burdened. And there's nothing more that she would desire in all the world that her son, her daughter, her grandchildren would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Be a pearl of great price if her prayers were to be answered. I see in this story of Moses the record of a past life. I see the reality of a divine hand. But surely as Moses began to grow, there was in his own heart, 
the realization of a sacred purpose. All the while, I believe Moses knew instinctively in his heart, growing up there in Egypt, growing up as the son of Pharaoh's daughter in the household of Pharaoh, growing up in Egypt, I believe that Moses was aware of his origins. And there was a realization of a sacred purpose in his life that I don't really belong in Egypt. These are not my people. This is not my kingdom. Pharaoh is not really my grandfather. Pharaoh's daughter is not really my mother. These are not my people. This is not my destiny. God is a greater plan and God is a greater purpose in my life. We read in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 23, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. You see, whenever Pharaoh's daughter handed Moses back, and eventually he got back for a year or two into the hands of his natural mother, Jochebed, I'm sure she instructed him as best she could. But at the age of 40, Moses began to realize that the people that were in slavery, those are God's people. And those are my natural brethren. And I want to be with my people. I don't belong in Egypt. I don't belong in this age, this age of wickedness. All of these deities that these people worship, they are not my gods. I want to serve the God that my mother served. I want to know the God of my fathers. I want to know the God that has brought these Hebrew people into Egypt and has preserved them over the years, God has got a plan and God has got a purpose for my life. I believe that Moses knew that Jehovah was God. The Hebrews were his brethren. And he would never really fully or finally fit in in Egypt. And maybe you're like that tonight. You're not yet born again. Or maybe you've backslidden terribly. And you're living in the world and you're trying to live for the world. But you know in your heart I will never fit in. I will never get what I'm looking for in this world. I don't belong in the nightclubs and in the pubs. Maybe some relationship that you're in, I don't belong in it, and you know it in your heart. It's not the right place for you, and you know that you're trying to fit in, but you'll never be content, you'll never be happy, because you know that there's a God in heaven with whom you have to do. And you know that your parents love the Lord, and your grandparents love the Lord and you've been brought up in the gospel and God's kept you and God's preserved you and God has watched over you and there's a battle going on. I went through that as a teenager. Knew that this world had got nothing for me. But there's a tug, isn't there? There's a battle that goes on. And sometimes you have to reach a crossroads and make a choice and make a decision. And maybe tonight you're realizing that there's a sacred purpose in your life if you give your heart to Jesus Christ. God wants to save you and God wants to lead you on. Notice briefly as well, not only the realization of a sacred purpose, but verse 24, Hebrews 11, the refusal of the world's riches. 
by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused the world's riches. Moses could have had it all. But at 40 years of age, he says, no, this is enough. I cannot and I will not live like this anymore. All of this that I see around me in Egypt, it's all false. It's all fleeting. It's all a facade. It's all fleshly. I don't want this life anymore. And there was a refusal of the world's fame. Moses could have been the most famous person in Egypt. And he maybe didn't know what God's plan for his life was, but he was willing to live as he sought the rest of his life in the backside of the desert. Rather than being the most famous son in Egypt, he refused the world's fame. He refused the world's fortunes, verse 26 says. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Many would long for the treasures of this world, but not Moses. You see, this is the grace of God in operation in a man's life. What is happening in Moses' heart was entirely supernatural. What natural individual would turn their back on the world's wealth and the world's fame and the world's ease and the world's riches, having the world at your feet, and say, I'm leaving it all behind. I don't want that anymore. I'm going to the backside of the desert, and I'm going to walk with God. It was the grace of God operating in his life. He realized, I could gain the whole world, but if I lose my soul, I've lost absolutely everything. He realized that the world's riches, the world's fortunes, the world fame were fleeting and finite. They were short-lived. The pleasures of sin, and there are pleasures in sin. Let's not be so foolish to say that there aren't, but you know they're for a season. First time a person gets drunk, they might enjoy it. Or maybe the second or third time, if they persevere, they might start to enjoy it for a season. But then the drunkard can be the most miserable person on God's earth. Like an old country song says, one drink was far too many, but a thousand were never enough. The world's pleasures are fleeting and finite. The world's pleasures are false and fickle. The world's pleasures are fleshly and fated to take you to a lost eternity. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, I read a quote the other day. I saw it on social media. Jim Carrey, the famous Hollywood actor, he made this statement. He says, I think, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see that it is not the answer. I don't know if he's found the answer yet, but he's realized that this world, with its fame, its riches, its pleasures, does not provide the answer to the human heart. Now, I want you to consider one last thing, and we're finished. We have thought about the record of a past life. We have thought about the reality of a divine hand. We have considered briefly the realization of a sacred purpose. We have thought also about the refusal of the world's riches. But notice also in closing the resolve of a renewed heart. Evidently something has happened in the heart of Moses. God has changed his heart. And that has changed his outlook in this world. And that has changed his, 
his very desires. The evidence of a new heart is seen in the choices that an individual is willing to make. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the Bible says in verse 26 and 27, it concerns the nation of Israel one day, but it also, I believe, is a picture of the new birth. God says, I will put a new heart within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and shall do them. And the very fact that it says in verse 25 that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season is an indication that this man has received a new heart. Somewhere along the line, a work of grace has been done. And there's this resolve of a new heart. He's resolving now, I'm willing to suffer affliction with the people of God. And I believe that has to happen in a person's life for you to really live the Christian life. You have to choose this world or choose Christ. And choosing Christ might involve suffering affliction, scorn and scoffing with the people of God. He chose to suffer affliction. Verse 26 says he chose to bear reproach, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Moses knew something about Christ. And he knew something of the reproach that it would involve in his own life if he sided with Christ. Then he also chose in verse 27 to forsake the world. By faith he forsook Egypt. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. Moses could have wrote those words from his own heart. He chose to suffer affliction. He chose to bear reproach. He chose to forsake the world. And in verse 27 as well, he chose to ignore the wrath of the king. It says, not fearing the wrath of the king, not fearing Pharaoh. The Bible says that perfect love casteth out fear. Moses now is serving a much, much greater king. You know, we could take all of those little phrases, choosing to suffer affliction, choosing to bear reproach, choosing to forsake the world, choosing to ignore the wrath of the king. And doesn't it just summarize tonight the words of our Savior? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's what Moses is doing. He's taking up the cross. He's dying to this world. He's dying to self. He's dying to sin. He's walking now in the life of new obedience. Told the story before about a young girl brought up in a very wealthy and lucrative home and sent off by her father and mother at great expense to one of the great universities of the world. And off she went to get a great education. But whenever she was there, she came under the influence of the gospel. She got converted. She became a Christian. She wrote home to her parents to tell them she'd get saved. They weren't all that happy. They said very little. Whenever she came home from one of the breaks, during the, one of the, 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 the times of being at home on holiday, her father called her in and says, No, I didn't send you to university and spend good hard-earned money for you to get religion and become good living. 
I sent you to get a good education. And if you insist on living the Christian life and following Jesus Christ and siding with those people, he says you can leave and plow your own furrow. And she went up to her room and she packed her bags. She walked down to the front door and she set her bags at the front door and she went into the living room and she sat down at a piano and she began to play and then she began to sing. Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, thou henceforth my all shall be. And she did not realize as she was singing those words that her father had made his way up the corridor and her playing had caught his attention. He began to listen as she sang. And his heart was melted. He realized his daughter had found something that was worth living for. He threw his arms around her and he said to her, Tell me more. Tell me more. Maybe you're here tonight in the meeting and that's what you need to say. You need to say, Take the world, but give me Jesus. Jesus, I my cross have taken. And there may be things that you're going to have to leave behind, worldly things that will only hold you back. If you're really going to do a work for God, he's essentially choosing the cross like pilgrim fleeing from the city of destruction. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Is there somebody tonight in the meeting and we're finished? Is there somebody here and you're counting the cost? You've done okay in life? You mightn't gain the whole world, but you've maybe got a satisfactory portion of it. But you know you're lost. But you know there's people praying for you. And you know there's a better way to live. And you know there's a God that loves you. And there's a Christ that died for you. And there's a heaven awaiting you if you'll come. I wonder tonight, will you say to Jesus Christ tonight, Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. Let my flesh life melt away. Make me as a precious stone, crystal clear and finely honed. Take me deeper into you. Life of Jesus, shining through. Will you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you?